This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu slash library. Hello, everybody. Hi, welcome. Um, we're getting ready to start our panel, and I want to introduce our panelists. My name is Carrie Millsap Spears. I teach com- uh, communications and literature here at Moraine Valley, and we have a great lineup for you to discuss um, the Day of Silence and other issues that pertain to the gay and lesbian community here at Moraine Valley. Um, on the very far me, uh, right of me here is uh, Trish Kaporos from Counseling. She teaches College 101, and she's the Safe Zone Counselor um, with Anna Coco. Um, next to her is Guy uh, Meninga from Key Flag um, in Oak Park. He's uh, been on many panels um, recently at Governor State University and working on a video course on diversity. He's going to be on that course. Um, next to Guy is Val Dema, the um, M- Moraine Valley Student Glow leader. Um, she's here working on a degree in music. And right next to me is Allison St. John from Sociology. She teaches Sociology 101, which is general sociology, marriage and family, and minority groups. So welcome, everyone. And we're going to start off today with Guy from PFLAG, who's going to give us some information on the organization. He's going to tell us a little bit about his personal story. Thanks. Um, can you hear me okay? Um, PFLAG stands for Parents family and friends of lesbians and gays, actually and bisexual and transgender also. Uh, PFLAG's been around for quite a few years. Um, I'll tell you a little bit more about PFLAG, but let me tell you a little bit about myself and why I'm involved in this. We have a gay son. Our oldest son is gay. We have four children, three boys and two girls. Our oldest son came out in high school when he was a junior in high school 30 years ago. He now lives in Sweden with his partner in Stockholm. He has a gay blog. Uh, if you want to look at it, um, it's how to learn Swedish in a thousand difficult lessons. And he talks about all kinds of things, but if you read the description of him, he's very open about the fact that he's gay. Uh, he's old enough to be your father. I'm old enough to be your grandfather. Uh, but I've know, we've known he was gay for that many years. Uh, when he first came out, uh, we were not that open about it. Thirty years ago, uh, it was not as gay-friendly in U.S. society as it is today, even though it maybe isn't very friendly today in a lot of places. Um, P-Flags, I'm going to read you just a little bit about P-Flag. P-Flag and... PFLAG in in the metro area, there are eight different chapters, including a Spanish chapter in in, uh, Chicago itself. And I've got some pamphlets here that that you can pick up if you want to learn more about it. You you get your parents involved or your friends. Uh, We belong to the Oak Park PFLAG organization we meet once a month and our our primary mission is advocacy and education and helping anyone who comes to our meetings or anyone who contacts us in understanding and in accepting the people who are not of the same sexual orientation as maybe the majority of people in the United States or in the world. Um, Let me just read a little bit from our pamphlet. As members of PFLAG, we have learned that lesbians, bisexuals, gay, and transgender people come from families from all corners of the earth, from every culture, from every religious and ethnic group. Sexual orientation is neither chosen nor taught. It is not just a stage of development. As members of PFLAG, we have learned to affirm our loved one's sexual orientation. We recognize their expression of love as natural and moral. We view rejection of lesbian, gay, bisexual, or transgender persons by their families as a tragedy. We respect the right of each person to be who he is or she is authentically. Finally, 
We believe that by speaking out and breaking the silence surrounding homosexuality, we replace prejudice and stereotypes with truth. PFLAG has opened new windows of understanding for us, and we seek to share that understanding with others. Um, we work, there are a couple of organizations in, in uh, Illinois and throughout the U.S. Human Rights Commission is very active in gay rights. In Illinois, Equality Illinois has done a lot for gay rights in Illinois. They helped to get the legislation passed last year that, that um, banned discrimination in workplaces based on sexuality. Uh, Rick Garcia heads that up. Uh, an example of what they have, what they do. Somebody tried to get something on the ballot last year to ban gay marriage, even though it is banned in the U.S. But it, actually, it's a very discriminatory, very discriminatory way of describing it. And Equality Illinois, the Human Rights Commission, some other people, and PFLAG joined together, reviewed all the petitions and got it thrown out because so many of the signatures were not valid. I worked on it a few days myself. Um, but that is one of, one of many. I live in a gay, friendly community, Oak Park. In Oak Park, we have an organization called Opalga, which is Oak Park Area Lesbian and Gay Association, and it is very active. Under it, PRISM, it, which is for youth, primarily high school, but but also for others. Under it is Spectrum. Under it is Red, which is for lesbian and bisexual women. And Alas, which is a Latin Latino group. And then there's the TGIQ, which is adults that can come to this center. So Oak Park is unusual in that. Are any of you from Oak Park? None of you. Um, I, I, I will say more later, but uh, if, if you want to pick up any of this, uh, and I would encourage you to, if you are, if your parents are, can be accepting, I understand that you can't just say, you know, I am gay or I'm lesbian, and... But if you can, I would say encourage them to contact PFLAG. We have a, we have a website. You can go to uh, your computer, and you can find us on the website. Thank you. Here's some of the PFLAG flyers. I've got them up here. I will bring them back there so that you can want to grab one. You can grab one, all right? We have quite a, uh, quite a bit of information back on the back table there that you're welcome to take with you, except the, the large books that Val actually owns. But we do have some newspapers. We have the Windy City Times and also the Chicago Free Press. Um, you're welcome to take a copy of them. We have some information on how to be an ally, which is um, a friend um, that can help um, and some of the discrimination that a lot of people feel and we have information on that and also information on the Day of Silence which is a big part of our program today and Valdemma is going to speak on the Day of Silence and um, we put buttons on some of the chairs so you're welcome to have one if you didn't get one there's, they're back on the table also to commemorate that and that's going to be on April 18th so Val will let you speak to the Day of Silence technical difficulties here. Um, hi, my name is Val Demo. I am a student here at Moraine Valley, and I am the president of the Moraine Valley Glow Club, which stands for Gay, Lesbian, or whatever, as in whatever you identify yourself as, or just whatever you decide to show up for, <laughs> yeah, or show up as. Um, we are an all-inclusive group. We're for the gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender, queer, transitioning, and their allies straight by whatever you might be everybody is welcome at our meeting so we're pretty you know inclusive in that rest in that respect um, we meet every other Tuesday at 330 in B118 we've got some pretty flyers up around campus they're black and they have a big rainbow triangle on there so and um, 
We're just trying to get the word out about our club to let people know that we do exist because we do have a lot of questions, especially to Carrie. You know, is there a gay club? How do I join it? You know, where are you guys? And that's pretty much my mission is to, you know, inform the campus that our club does exist. And we just, we do more than sit around and talk. We do organize things like this. We organized this a few months ago. We did the same thing last year. Um, we're trying to, you know, get our stuff together for the Day of Silence, which is coming up in a couple of weeks. And um, we hold, you know, information tables, and we just want to let the campus know that we are here for them and for support and for the allies of those who support us. And the Day of Silence is pretty important. Day of Silence is um, about 11 years old. It was started in 1996 at the University of Virginia, and they had over 150 students participate in that first Day of Silence. And what the day actually is is a project of the Gay, Lesbian, and Straight Education Network in collaboration with the United States Student Association, which is a student-led day of action with those who support making anti-lesbian, gay, bi, or transgender bias unacceptable in schools, take a day-long vow of silence to recognize and protest the discrimination and harassment experienced by lesbian, gay, bi, and transgender students and their allies. So everybody in you know the gay community and those who support their friends or their peers in the gay community can all participate in this day and not just you know the day they you know as being an ally they can you know take their steps further instead of just one day out of the year and is, you know, does the work end after the day is over which is the answer to that is you no know, because the day of silence is one element of a bigger effort to create a safe school environment for high schools. It's primarily a high school thing and colleges also. They host breaking the silence events, rallies, legislative lobby days, performances, open mics on the day of silence and you know throughout the year. Many communities also ask their state and local leaders to support and implement similar policies in essence of creating a safe environment like the anti-discrimination policy that Illinois passed last year and this year in the, the Senate is actually going to debate Thursday on the Local Law Enforcement Hate Crimes Prevention Act which will include homosexuality as something you can be prosecuted against as a hate crime if you commit a crime against a homosexual person and that is determined to be the cause so that's going to be up in the Senate on this Thursday and that um, Val, yes. Val, was the Day of Silence created in reaction to um, the killing of that one student in Wyoming? Was it? Was that? Was this the the way that people were responding? Because um, I know that that happened in the late nineties. Matthew Shepard. Matthew yes. Shepard. Yes. Matthew Shepard. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I believe. Um, the killing of Matthew Shepard happened in 1997. Yes, 97. So this was the year before. And um, it doesn't say you know, that the Day of Silence was created because of the Matthew Shepard incident, which, for those of you who don't know, Matthew Shepard was, was from Arizona or Montana. Why? Where was, where was Matthew Shepard from? It was Wyoming. Wyoming, Wyoming. I knew it was out there somewhere. He was a Wyoming gay youth who was killed brutally by two men who alleged that Matthew was hitting on them, and that was their reason for brutally murdering this boy. And since, it's ten years, this is, this is the tenth anniversary of Matthew's death, since his death, his mother has become very, very active in the gay support community and raising awareness and promoting a safe environment, not just for you know her area, but nationwide. She has become very active in the safety issues for the gay and lesbian community. But the day itself is sort of something to bring awareness to the student community and not just the students it's for their teachers as well because on, on the day 
there's um, an information card that students can you know write or print out that explains what the day is briefly and why they are participating in the day of silence and it's you know pretty much information tells you your teachers and your friends why you're not speaking that day and you know it says what will you do to end the silence and that's pretty much about the day Okay, thank you, Val. Um, I'd like Trish now to speak a little bit on the Safe Zone program that's available here uh, at Moraine Valley for faculty. <laughs> oh, she's changing the program. <laughs> oh, I'm, I'm a little hung up here. Uh-oh. Safe Zone. Well, there you go. All right. Well, about two years ago, Anna Coco, as a counselor over in the counseling center here, and myself um, decided to create a safe zone program. And we're probably one of the last schools to do it, meaning that this is not a new program. This is something that many colleges have adopted uh, over the years. It actually started at the University of Richmond. Uh, the first safe zone program for universities and colleges started there. And the premise behind the safe zone uh, program is to let GLBT students know that the environment in which they which in which they are getting their education supports, welcomes, and also uh, embraces their lifestyle choice. Uh, also, to let them know that the folks that decide to become safe zone allies and to become a safe zone ally, a person has to go through a, a training session. It's, it's basically an orientation. And uh, it's just to help them become more aware, aware of some of the issues that surround the GLBT community. Um, obviously, they're not going to get a whole full-blown education in just two hours. But at least as they go through this program, they're telling me and they're telling you that they support you. And they're going through this program to let you know that. So as a result of that, they receive this little, I don't know what you would call it, a little plaque, plaque award. There you go. Award. Very colorful award for their completion of the pro of the of the orientation. If you see this, you know that 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 faculty member or that staff member supports you. And there's about 36 faculty and staff persons that have gone through the the orientation so far. We're going to be starting another orientation in about another four weeks and we hope to get more folks uh, signed up for it and to, and to go through it and to receive this plaque. So if you see this you know that they do support you and, and I guess the, the comfort in that is that many students um, who are gay, lesbian, bisexual, transgender feel they need to hide that segment of their life and in many, in many ways some of the courses that they're taking uh, allows them an opportunity to express that if they wanted to and to know that a faculty member maybe who's teaching English is part of this safe zone group provides that student with that opportunity to share that element or that part of their life through some kind of writing if, if, if it's so be or if it's a sociology project maybe through a sociology class where they can share that part of their life in some aspect be it on a sociological level, be it on a personal level or whatever, just to know that that faculty member or that staff member supports you I think is a very comforting and I think a well-needed, um, uh, just a well-needed thing to have on campus. Um, I got involved in it because uh, personally, well, I just, I'm, I just let it, I'm bisexual and uh, I feel it's really important for everyone on every level, students, faculty, staff, to feel as, though, feel as though they don't have to hide that element of their life and that I'm not here to push anything upon you. All I'm asking you is to give me the opportunity to share with you who I am in a civilized manner, in a respectful manner, in a manner which embraces your, your integrity and also mine. Uh, and to educate you. And I can learn from you just as much as you can learn from me about my experiences as a bisexual or your experience as a heterosexual. I mean, we have a lot to learn from each other. So I really, I really felt like it was, it was important to, to get the, you know, just to get the message out and to let people know that we, 
we represent a very wide spectrum, wide spectrum of folks. Um, many of us um, are your doctors, are your lawyers, are your teachers, are your counselors, are your, you know, secretary, whatever. We're in all parts and all walks of life, and we're pretty much just like you. You know, so I think it's important that people know that. Um, so we started this program, and we've got um, we've had a very good uh, response. Faculty and staff have been very, very responsive. We hope for it to grow and, and become more abundant on campus. So you'll see these symbols all over the place and say, "Wow, the campus is really making an effort to, to reach out to us as a community." One of the missions of the college is to embrace diversity, and this is just one more way in which we can embrace it. We've done a I think a great job embracing diversity on so many different levels, and now we're just adding to that. So that says a lot for the institution. So. Thank you. I hope that tells you enough. There's a thing out there that says, what does an ally mean? And then some characteristics about an ally. It's a handout. You can grab one of those, give you an idea of what we're all about. And. Um, yeah, thanks. thank you. Yeah, I think that's wonderful. And we have information for students who an ally for other students on campus, which is in a very, very important role um, to help just embrace everyone and be and be a positive learning environment. And I teach English, and it's true. I get a lot of papers. I get a lot. Of, I have had a very, um, I would say, ten or more students come out to me in their writing. Um, so it's important that that everyone know that we we feel. Um, like we want to help and do the right thing. That's why I um, became an ally and also the faculty sponsor of GLOW because it's important that I want my students to know that I'm respectful of their needs and want to help them any way I can. And another person who really likes to do that is Allison St. John and she teaches sociology as I mentioned and she's going to speak to us a little bit about just gender and how we perceive gender and where um, we get sexual identity from and um, just basic ways that we interpret that. So I'll take it away. If at any point um, you have any questions or some comments, if there's something that you would like me to uh, make a point more clear, please feel free to uh, interrupt me or you know raise your hand. And I'll do my very best uh, to either make my point more clear, answer your question, or perhaps defer to another member on the panel. Um, so you know, we can make this as interactive as you like. Um, one, of the question, one of the points that sociologists often look at when we discuss gender identity and sexual orientation is you know, where does it originate from? Is it nature? Is, do we get it from biology? Or is it nurture? Is it something that is taught to you? Is it a learned process? Uh, most sociologists don't take a hard line on either side. They believe that it's somewhere in the middle, um, that nobody is born knowing everything. Um, you know, we're not, one of the ideas that Carrie and I discussed um, when we talked about the social construction of, let's take a parallel, um, social construction of race, and we just covered this in one of my classes. Um, you know, we're not born knowing what is white, what is black. And we have the same dichotomous attitude often when it comes to sexuality. You know, we have this idea of what is straight, what is gay. Um, where do we come up with these ideas? Well, you're not born knowing what is straight, what is gay. We're taught these ideas, often through our parents, through our friends, through media. And we ingest these and we spit them back out. So we embrace the concepts of sexuality. Um, so when you take on a gender identity, you embrace it. What, where the trouble comes, and, and trouble may be a, um, a subjective word here, is when society starts to react to that. When you take on an identity and society doesn't perceive it as you wished it would be. So 200 years ago, you couldn't cover up the color of your skin. If, well, that's not true. Some people could pass um, if they were light-skinned enough. It, you can pass 
sometimes if you're gay into the straight world. But what does that do internally? Um, we have the same issues in the gay community. If you are, uh, do you be true to your inner self or are you not? Um, I imagine PFLAG has a lot of issues with that. Can you unlearn being gay? Well, let me, let me comment. I, I, I know some of the... Some of uh, <coughs> our son was born gay, okay? I don't agree with that he was trained this way or anything. When he came out at 16 years old in high school, looking back, my wife and I had talked about talking to the pediatrician about this kid when he was in preschool. Uh, can you hear me? I'm sorry. I, uh, did you hear me? Uh, the panel I was on at Governor's State, we had a professor from Northwestern University who was doing research on genetic links to sexuality. There is very more and more evidence that people do not choose their sexuality at, at all. It I hope that wasn't the impression are. I was making. Yeah. Was that not? Was that the impression I was making? Was that the impression I was making that people choose? I got that impression. Okay, I'm sorry if that was the impression. <laughs> it was that people pick up labels. People pick up labels, and it's um, like when we pick up ideas of femininity. When right. people are no, female, we often I put. I do understand that, but them. my interpretation of what you said was is. is that society maybe had some control over what you were, and I don't believe that. I think we have expectations for people. We have expectations. Like um, when you find out, when, you're, when your wife and you were pregnant, what was often the first question? Uh, it was a great disappointment to my wife to find that my son was gay. That's, that uh, and she got over it. Expectations. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. But I don't think... But that would be society. I don't think that would be um, an individual. Person. That's right. 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 I hope right. that clears up. Where I, agree. I agree. Okay. Okay. I'm not. I, I am. I misunderstood you. I'm sorry. Okay. And if you misunderstood me, I'm sure there were several others yeah. that also misunderstood me. I have that habit, don't I? <laughs> I mean, you have to agree that the socialization process here is predominantly to define certain kinds of roles. That doesn't make it right or wrong. It, it's just that we do. And through that socialization process, are we influenced? I don't know. But whatever. That, that does exist. And I think that's maybe what you were trying to say at that time, that predominantly what our socialization process predominantly We used. wouldn't be. I think that's why we're here today. Right. That's why we're here yeah. today. Yes. There are schools of thought that believe you can learn to be gay. Remind and also unlearn and unlearn. Part of the tends to be the religious right. But you have to be like you don't know what that is when you're five years old. Like you have to learn what the idea is, and you say, "Oh, no, I like girls." Genocide. There, there. It's a. This man wants a. Jerry Springer. Not Jerry Springer. Yeah, yeah, please. Yeah. Go ahead. Um, I need a contestant for this. No, I'm <laughs> um, 
No, I'm, I'm just basically trying to point out that, I mean, we're raised to be straight based on social norms of what is right to be male, what is right to be female. And I think that most likely people, you try to identify your gender based on how you're raised by your parents, by your grandparents, whoever you're living with. But once you grow old enough to realize that you have complicated emotions towards the same sex, you can't really just come out without everyone having a reaction to it. And I think most people would agree that it's, it's, it's very hard to come out depending on the environment that you've been raised. So, in, in going on what, what Luke was saying about um, he's looking at his language when he said being straight, when we have a language when we talk about being straight, when things are going all right and being, you know, steady and cool and people say, hey, you know, are you all right? People say, I'm straight, right? I'm straight. And if things aren't right or, you know, or when people are acting weird, they, you know, they'll say, stop being gay. Right? And look at our language. They used to use queer, too. And queer? Something was strange. In, like, early 1900s, it was a queer thing. Right. You, it, you were being queer if you were being, you know, out of the norm or something that was going strange. You're like, she's being awfully queer today. What's wrong with her? Not queer in the sense that we know it today, but queer as in, you know, the literal meaning of strange or different. And that's how it's evolved today as, you know, that label has been attached to the gay community. Some use it in a derogatory sense. Some have embraced it and say, yes, I'm that whole bumper sticker, I'm here, I'm queer, get used to it. And it, it all depends on the, the take on it. Some take it as a derogatory being called queer and some embrace their queerness. And I think, you know, both, both ends are expected and I am glad that we've decided to take something that's derogatory and embrace it and use it to our advantage. Are there people in the community that don't? Yes, there are. We actually changed our club name. We used to be the QSA, the Queer Straight Alliance, when this club first started two years ago. And I was you know, just a member. And when the president graduated, um, Carrie and our other faculty sponsor, Mary Fiefleece, and I decided that Queer Straight Alliance among us and the members that we had at the time was a little, you know, derogatory. So we decided to change our name, and that's how we perceived it. But, you know, there are other people and there are other organizations who would not have had a problem with it and would say, you know, whatever, we're a queer group, and that's fine. And um, we wanted to make it so that the students would feel more inclusive, and that's why we changed our name to what it is now. So, because not everyone shares my opinion, I know that, and uh, we wanted to make sure the students were comfortable going to a club and going to the club that had a very open name and something that couldn't be perceived as derogatory. So we kind of wanted to clean it up a little bit. And also well, very I positive. Glow, we're glowing. Yeah. <laughs> well, yeah. And I also think just by the nature of the name, you're embracing it. I mean, you're, you're, it's being inclusive, meaning that if there's straight students that want to support you as a group, they feel comfortable coming to that. If there's other students that are, may not be of the same um, uh, sexual orientation, but they still feel that they want to be there to support you, that that name allows that to be more, that embraces more people. So I like, I like the new name. It's pretty cool. Glow. I like that. <laughs> we actually we got that from Saint Olaf. Um, oh, when I was doing was no, sorry, that wasn't that was when I was doing my college research back in high school. I thought that was cool because they are a liberal arts college up in Minnesota, and I was just perusing through their catalog and I was looking through their student organization names and I saw they had a gay and lesbian club and I was like, oh, that, they're glow. That's pretty cool. So then when we were trying to come up with a new name, I remembered that and I put it out and everybody's like, oh, yeah, that's cool. Okay, we'll do that. So that's how that came about. Are there any other questions? I have the microphone. I want to be Oprah today. So. <laughs> okay. Reaction? Or like a, a, s a sociological viewpoint. Um, in society, why do you think, because um, obviously I have a little knowledge for the history of homosexuality, but as far as like common modern day s 
society, why do you think that despite the past, if people learn about the past, they still have intolerance now? Fear. Fear. Um, do you have something specific in mind? Um, well, no, because I, I read this book by Lewis Crompton. It's called The History of Homosexuality. And they actually go in through um, that back in history, there was never a term that was called homosexuality or lesbian. <coughs> it was more based off of uh, what they call a more, M-O-R-E, more a situation or an act. So a sexual more back in history would have been um, a lot more accepted. It was a lot more tolerant. It was never labeled. It was never judged. And back with the Romans and the Greeks, they had like three or four different terms for what love was. So you could love your wife and have children and also love your partner or your um, your war partner that you had but you were battling with in a phalanx or like a Greek phalanx. So basically it's like um, you had more than one way to love and you had more, more than one way to express that love. And you had, I mean, sex was not... Um, it was more recreational. I mean, it, it became more deified with religion based on procreation. And that's the only reason why it became such intolerant that homosexuality, you could not have sexual expression because you couldn't have children. And I was just relating that to you socialistically. Why do the society, you know, have so much intolerance for that when if people would just learn and to be intellectual about what happened in the past and they see what happened in the past, why they wouldn't just have common sense and let it be for what it was. <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> you know that saying, common sense isn't very common. That too. But it, I think, go, I'm sorry, go ahead, please. I, I think one of the reasons why it is still so prevalent is the religious community. Uh, and and uh, that's very unfortunate because I think it's a, but there's gotta it's be a misinterpretation and an emphasis on on uh, a, a minor thing in, in 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 Christianity for sure. I don't know about other religions, but uh, but I think it is one of the one of the biggest reasons why there's so much discrimination. And there's in the far right uh, Protestantism, there are still groups that think they can change people from from homosexuality to heterosexual, and. Uh, I don't think they knew that they didn't choose to be heterosexual either. Well, there was that big story on that Reverend Ted Haggart, who was the um, was he a leader of a big church out in the West? I think it was Colorado. Is that right? And he, I, I read in the newspaper that he went through a two-week program, and um, now he's, he, yeah, and now he's back with his church, but his church hasn't really um, accepted that. And I didn't know if anybody else had heard about that too. Did you hear about that, um, guy? Oh, oh, certainly. It's, it was in the paper, <laughs> of course. But, but there's still a large group, in, including, um, well, I won't name the names, but, but uh, they, they uh, interpret Scripture in a, in a very literal, and then they're very selective about what they pick out because there are lots of places in Scripture that would say their view is wrong. The thing I don't understand is how priests can harass little kids and say it's all right, and then not, and then go against like the gay community. You know, it's definitely not right. Definitely, it's a whole other can of worms. (laughs) It is very true, though. I'll I'll come come back. Back. You want to talk? Oh, well, oh, but it's okay. You have a relationship. Okay. Then I'll come back. Okay. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> Luke knows all. <laughs> as far as your question, I think that most priests, in the same sense that when you're in um, the penal system in society today with prisons, I don't think men actually associate themselves to want to have sex with other men because they're gay. They're not gay. It's a lack of options. It's more of a, they need to to fulfill that sexual more and so they have to do that same sense with the priest their their profession is strictly to be celibate so obviously they're going to go for something that is very vulnerable they're going to go for a child and which probably connects the whole pedophilia and homosexuality issues together which is totally not true but that's probably more of a lack of options the reason why they they go on to someone that's more vulnerable is because they know they have more power more control and they have the big guy upstairs to back them up and say it's okay 
Um, my question is more of, it was kind of in relation to what you guys were saying about the religious groups and, you know, their views on homosexuality and everything, but what would be, like, some of your advice in terms of, like, a person that considers herself a Christian and is kind of battling with that? Because I do consider myself a Christian. I do go to church. I do believe, you know, in God, and unfortunately, I also believe a lot of what the Bible says about, you know what I'm not supposed to do. So I kind of battle, you know, with that, with not knowing kind of if it's okay, because I think it's okay, but sorry. Okay. You know, and I went through the same struggles in some ways myself, and there are organizations such as Dignity of Chicago, which is a uh, Christian, if I'm right, uh, based uh, group, that uh, 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 yeah, it's a Catholic organization. Now, obviously, I can't say that your church would embrace it, but there are a lot more churches that are becoming um, uh, what's the welcoming? They call them welcoming churches, and they and what that means is that they want you to know that they will welcome GLBT folks to come to their church. They want you to know that they're welcoming, and some of them may have strong uh, groups that are part of the church to advocate for that. So there are religious organizations that are Catholic-based, Christian-based, that you could maybe pursue that still doesn't deal with this personal struggle that you're having, but at least if you can find that kind of support somewhere where other people have gone through the same thing, who have really strong religious beliefs, but they found a home where they could at least be embraced and then help you work through that a little bit because they went through the same exact kind of you know. um my church like my church does accept gay gay and lesbian people like I've been a member there since before I was born so okay. it's not that they're like discriminatory but at the same time it's like they support us but at the same time they're kind of trying to wash it out of us at the same time like they don't want us to feel like we can't be here they don't say we can't wear our flags you know but at the same time it's kind of they're programming this thing where like you know just believe in God and trust in him and you'll shake this kind of like mm-hmm. being gay is like a demon in me or something and I don't know because like my personal experiences with women have been like very painful and I don't know if I've been programmed to believe that that's because they're women or if that's just you know Mm -hmm. what happened so that's kind of a struggle I've been dealing with a lot lately is like not really knowing what to do because I'm wondering if my experiences are like because of that so I don't know how to deal with that I, I will not represent myself as being a, an expert on the Bible by any means, but there's one thing that I can always go back to, and that is Jesus always accepted and tolerated everybody. He took prostitutes under his wing. He took those with leprosy under his wing. Everybody under any circumstances never turned his back on a soul, um, regardless of of any circumstance. Um, in, in another, and this is, is my interpretation of the Bible, is that the Bible was written by human beings, was put down into word by human beings, even though it was inspired by a higher power. Um, and human beings do have, you know, can make mistakes. And it's just, it's my personal interpretation, you know, how other people... Well, and I think that that's just, hi everyone, I'm uh, Troy Swanson, one of the librarians here, by the way. And um, the, the starting with any text like the Bible, you have to recognize that there's so much in there that you can't help but start from an interpretation of that. So you could take, like, read the book of Deuteronomy and what it means to practice. That was written at a time, there's, a, there's this whole list of, of laws, laws that we choose not to... Um, not to follow. For instance, one of the laws is that a man should not share a bed with his wife if she's menstruating. You know, it, it just doesn't fit our modern society. Second Timothy, um, I think of Second Timothy, like the 13th chapter, St. Paul writes that a man or a woman should never speak before a man. So very says it. You know, men should always speak before women. I know that I'm kind of 
hurting the, butchering the, the, with the actual quote, but you can go and take a look. And we never follow that today. So there's all of these, these, these pieces of Scripture that we choose to ignore. And the people that hold up Scripture in a discriminatory way are choosing to ignore all of those things when they pull out the pieces about um, uh, sexuality, just like in the 1800s. Uh, slave owners pulled out the pieces that justify slavery in the Bible. So um, be very careful as people hold that evidence up against you. They do that to people who also don't have the other side of the story. And if you don't have the full information, then they use their information as power over you. So, you know, go libraries. That's why we're here to go and <laughs> pull out that stuff. So. Okay, that's fine. Adding to what you were saying. Um, basically, the... the the version of the Bible was originally written in Hebrew and later translated into German. Um, the English Bible didn't actually start getting printed until after, um, I think, the Reformation, once they got the printing press. So basically there's a lot, there's probably at least 1,500 years before it was actually translated. By then the church already had a very strong political power in um, Europe. So basically, if you really want to understand the Bible, either learn Hebrew or learn German and read it for what it was really intended to be. And you'll notice that as far as I'm right, I can't get quoted on this, but there is actually no recorded anything in the Bible about homosexuality. The whole Sodom and Gomorrah issue was more about sodomy, which back then had to do with perversion of children. It had nothing to do with homosexuality. Pedestry, which was a common act of having an older man um, couple with a younger boy, was strictly for teachings in ancient Greek and Roman periods. It got related to sodomy later in the era with the Catholic Church. So then just to ask your question about your, you know, <laughs> be faithful, be 100% faithful. God is totally on your side. But you have to realize that uh, what God intends for you in your life isn't what man intends for you for your life. And we have fallacy and we have our own shortcomings. And when we translate things to English, we can put whatever we want and no one would know. Because most people that were in that era were either illiterate, couldn't read, or had to have a priest teach them what was right, which man put in. So, that's that. The only reason why I didn't, the only reason why I didn't come up here was because I have a lot of knowledge with history because I do a lot of study for why I am the way I am. But I can't actually say I can be up here because I'm not accredited to be able to distribute that information without you saying that I, I don't have a degree in it. So just for why I didn't come up here. But if you'd like to take my degree from Mr. Lewis Crompton from the book I read, I'd be glad to stay up here and tell you what I know. So. Any final thoughts from the panelists? Thank you for being yes, here. Thank you. supporting the group, for supporting uh, us. <laughs> no, really, I really, we all appreciate the fact that you came here to, to participate and to, to learn more. And I learned a lot today myself from my fellow colleagues and students. And, um, and it's good to see this. So I, I was part of this uh, group about 15 years ago. We had uh, a gay GLBT uh, group. And 15 years ago, we probably couldn't have done this uh, because the reaction from the community would have been by far a lot more, uh, how, how do you put it? Uh, thank you. That, that's the word. Yes. It, was, it would have been very hostile. It was, I had notes put on my car window uh, with some derogatory statements and stuff like that. So we've come a long way, and we've got much more to go. And this is the start of it, and you are going to be the start of it in terms of creating a whole new understanding of this community and uh, what we can contribute to the community, what as individuals and as a group. So I think this is wonderful. This is a great start. It's a, it's a, a credit to the GLOW group and their facilitators or uh, teach the moderators for their group. This is a big step, and this is a great program. You guys did a heck, heck, heck of a job. Oh, and you did, too. We couldn't have done it without Trish. Yeah. She did. She handled everything. Kudos Trish. Trish.
not have done it without her. And the library is very supportive of these sorts of events, and it's wonderful. And if you see over here right by this pillar, there are a lot, a lot of information, um, novels, and other kinds of books that you can actually check out from the library. We have videos up here that can be checked out, too, from the library. Um, the librarians were wonderful in getting this stuff up and ready for the display, so we owe them a lot of our gratitude as well. Um, and to PFLAG for coming and um, for the information that they brought and for all of you. And please make sure you take a button for the Day of Silence. Take any information that you would like here. And please give everybody a round of applause. And thank you. If I could share one more thing. <laughs> I'm, like, I'm like totally taking the limelight. I apologize. Um, on a last note, just, just think that um, as far as these sexual mores are concerned, um, sexual mores were very prevalent in Christian society, Muslim society, um, Asian society. If you look through Greek mythology, you'll see it very prevalent between um, Greek heroes and Greek gods, both male, both female, um, having these sexual mores. If you go through ancient Asian society, you also see that a lot of the ancient dynasties had same-sex relations. If you go back to the Muslim society, you will see the same thing with their... Um, their leaders and their uh, inspirations that were from the past. And also, if you check out um, even ancient Hindu society, if you go back to India, a lot of their mythology is rooted by deities and, and gods and goddesses that were created from same-sex unions. So it's basically something that's it's every walk of life, every religion, every culture, no matter what you can think of, it's been here, it's going to be here, it always will be here. And quite frankly, it's natural because it happens in nature. You can go check out the New York Zoo and see <laughs> Chloe and what's the other one, um, who have a baby of their own. And actually, just to share this cute story, um, there's two penguins that were, um, their sexual more was to be gay. They had um, gay sex, okay? And basically, um, they, they grabbed a rock and they put the rock in their nest to try to hatch the rock. And they couldn't hatch the rock because it's just a rock. So the zookeepers gave them another egg from another, um, another, I guess you say, couple of penguins. And they actually um, have a baby daughter now. And they're actually <laughs> living quite happily in the New York Zoo. This is a Moraine Valley Community College Library event podcast. For more information, visit www.morainevalley.edu library.